Let's pray together before I begin tonight. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in the midst of your people at this present time. And we do rejoice that you have a plan, a plan which is being made evident even on this earth in these days. Oh, Father, how we thank you for this marvellous thing we call the Church of Jesus Christ. We thank you it is a pearl beyond any price and the very pearl for which Jesus gave his life. Father, we thank you for the tremendous privilege of being part of your body, which is the Church. And Father, we thank you that you are manifesting your glory in the midst of your people. And more and more we are seeing the glory of the Lord revealed in each one of us. Father, you know the longing of my own heart, Father, is that we should see all the people of God glorious and truly in the inheritance which is theirs. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that through the things we study tonight, Father, that you will advance, advance that maturity even in this area. Father, that we should see more of your glory in the midst. Father, we just believe that through this series you are laying a foundation, an important foundation, in the whole work that you are doing in this country. And we would ask in Jesus' name that your anointing may be upon every tape that goes out from this series, that people should be wonderfully set free. Father, that they should see through things that are wrong, and perhaps, Father, that they may be corrected by some things. But, Father, that they should be excited by these things. Father, we do thank you that the Holy Spirit is in the midst of every single fellowship. And he is the one who is the teacher. And he is the one who is leading into all truth. Father, tonight it is to him that we commit this meeting. And Father, we are asking that the one who is the great teacher in the midst might teach us wonderful things from the Word of God. That Jesus may in all things have the preeminence. Oh, Father, I just ask in Jesus' name that my lips should indeed be willing servants of yours and that, Father, every one of our ears should be open wide to what you are saying. In the name of Jesus, I ask it, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I think it's worthwhile just repeating what are the two main aims of a fellowship at this stage in the course. Do you remember right at the beginning of the course I outlined six major aims of a fellowship and I actually went through and I said that the actual order that I gave them in was very very important indeed. The first two had to do with our 100% commitment to God himself and I think it's the second of the aims that we have to remember especially tonight. The first aim was this a fellowship is in existence that it might show its love for God and its love for the Lord. And that is why we as a fellowship, of course, are um, uncompromising as far as praise and worship are concerned. We feel that that is vitally important, that he receives all the adoration and all the praise that we are able to give him. But the second main aim, which was very important, had to do with us. And the second aim was this, a fellowship is in existence that we might see the production of holy, stable and mature believers. And I believe with all my heart that unless we see holy, stable, mature believers being developed, we really have not allowed God to do what he wants to do in the midst. My vision 
for our fellowship and for most fellowships is this. Not only that we should have a lot of people actually converted, but that we actually are effective in the way we deal with these new converts. Now, so often, uh, the amount of progress that uh, a young convert makes often depends on the person who actually led him to the Lord. If he's got a person who cares and is mature, and this person has led someone to the Lord, and that person is willing to take the young convert and take him into his house, generally speaking, that young co convert makes tremendous progress. But so many young converts are left by themselves. And very often, they go wrong because they are left by themselves. Some actually don't know which way to go and they're flopping about all over the place. They just haven't the foggiest idea, really, exactly what Christianity is about. Some, however, are so in love with the Lord that they think they know it all and so this is the way it's got to be done. And unfortunately, they go into error. So you either get some falling by the wayside or you get people going into serious error because they're not being trained. And I feel that if we as a fellowship are to be effective... What's got to happen is this, when a person is converted, they should then actually be trained up to the level of maturity. And this means that as soon as they've given their hearts to Christ, you've got to check that they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Once you know they're filled with the Holy Ghost, they are then to be trained in the basics of the faith. It's so important before anything else that the foundation is put in the Word of God, that they start understanding about the birth of Jesus Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, the ascension. And they start understanding about imputed righteousness, how to deal with sin in their lives, <clears throat> how to confess their sins, how to keep constantly in fellowship, how to be filled with the Spirit every day, and so on. After that, or perhaps while that training is going on, it's important that they also receive personal ministry in their lives. They might need deliverance. They should receive, at that point, the deliverance they need. They might need correction in the way they're running their lives. They might need training on how to run their lives. I've actually had to train some people how to wash themselves. They didn't know how to keep themselves clean before they became a Christian. And part of the culture, the worldly culture they were in, said that it was good to be a sort of bohemian with long, filthy hair. You know, that it was good, really, to generally be unkempt. And actually what, we've had to, what I've had to explain to some people is that now you're a Christian, you're in a brand new culture altogether, which opposes the culture you've come from. And so you have to do this basic training. Then they might need ministry, perhaps for some spiritual healing in their lives. They might have trouble with depression. They might have all sorts of things. And they need ministry on that level. And if a fellowship is truly functioning, a young convert should, within, say, two or perhaps three years have his life revolutionized so that it's the new birth that's showing every moment of the day. Now, in order to do that, you need certain ministries. We've been through many of the ministries. For example, you do need elders in a fellowship. You do need leaders in a fellowship. You do need deacons in a fellowship. You do need the ministry of the teaching of God's Word in a fellowship. You do need the ministry of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to do tonight is to talk about some other gifts that aren't really talked about very much. In fact, in uh, one of the passages that we'll be dealing with, I've never actually heard anyone speak and minister on this particular passage. I've heard plenty of people read it and perhaps say one or two quick words, but never actually gone into this passage. And I want to deal with six gifts which are really not very well known in the whole body of Christ. 
So four of them are found in Romans 12. Two of them are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's pick up the ones in Romans first of all. Romans and chapter 12, and let's just read verse 6 to verse 8. Romans 12, verse 6 to verse 8. <clears throat> Actually, let's take it from verse 5 to remind ourselves that we are part of one body. And all the parts may have a different function, but they all are necessary in the body. So Romans chapter 12, verse 5 to verse 8. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, with a prophecy, let us prophesy according to the measure of faith. We dealt with prophecy already. Verse 7. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, on teaching, and then verse 8, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. All right, now let's quickly go through it. In verse 6, you have this important reminder. Whatever gift you've got, it has come by the grace of God. You don't earn it, you don't deserve it, and therefore you can't boast about it. If you're going to make any boast, boast about God. That you, that you, who were such an idiot, he has come along and given you this amazing gift. What an amazing thing that is. And that tells you something wonderful. Thank you. That tells you something really wonderful about who God is. We who are really not to be considered or to be compared with him, is, he is prepared to actually use us in the ministry. That's a wonderful thing. And so verse 6 says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, what? Make sure you use the gift. You've all got gifts, make sure you use them. Now he starts off with an important gift that of course he deals with in 1 Corinthians. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. Now, we've dealt with prophecy already, and it is a vital ministry. I love the little thing that's added here. If it is prophecy, make sure it's according to the proportion of your faith. In other words, invest the fullness of your faith in that prophecy. And I think I've said earlier on in this course that the Lord really rebuked me one day about speaking with tongues. Because, you see, I'd learned how to speak with tongues. It was now normal for me to speak with tongues. Well, it was easy. I spoke in eight languages. It was fine. I was able to go along in the car. In fact, I felt it was a good thing. And to uh, jabber away in tongues, you know, speaking, speaking, speaking in tongues. And one day the Lord just stopped me. He said, excuse me, right? Excuse me, Roger, he said, but do you know when you minister the spiritual gifts, they've got to be with faith ministered. It's no good you're just jabbering away in tongues and your mind somewhere else. If you're going to speak with tongues, invest your faith in the tongues. Then you'll see them work. And in prophecy, I have found some people have learnt how to prophesy. Why, they've got all the phrases off just fine. And they stand up, oh, thus saith the Lord. And out it comes. And generally speaking, well, it's a gentle word of uh, comfort, you know, or a word of exhortation sometimes. But do you know, sometimes I know they're not investing the full proportion of their faith in that prophecy. And that's why the blessing is limited from that prophecy. If you're going to prophesy, put your, your faith into it. 
Then let's hear the word of God spoken as a true prophet in the midst. So that's the, the uh, addition, as it were, that's added to the gift of prophecy. If you're going to prophesy, do it properly. Verse 7, we, saw that we see here the word that I talked about last time when I dealt with deacons. Diakonos, that is serving. And what this literally says is, if you've got the gift of serving, then serve. Right? Now this is to do with a practical, down-to-earth, nitty-gritty ministry. If that's your ministry, dealing with nitty-gritty things, then do it with all of your heart. And the tendency is, you see, if you've got a, a ministry that's nitty-gritty, after a while you tend to think, oh, let someone else do it. And this says, no, sir. If it's your gift, you do it. And then the last one, if it's teaching, then let him teach. Don't switch off. You know, and say, oh, well, there are other people that can do it, so I won't bother to do it. If your gift is teaching, do it. And what we learn in verse uh, 6 and verse 7 is this. Whatever gift you've got, do it with all that's in your heart. Now, before we come on to verse 8, let's just check that that is the message we're getting. Keep your finger in the place. And let's go through to 1 Peter and chapter 4. 1 Peter and chapter 4. And then we'll see these four other ministries. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and verse 11. Alright, in verse 10, this is what Peter says. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if God's given you a gift, be diligent in the fact that you minister it, whatever it is. Verse 11. If any man speak, if that's your gift, you've got the gift of the gab, as we might say, right? God has given you the ability to speak and to put it over dynamically and to catch people's attention. If that is your gift, then let him speak as the oracles of God. Let him stand up and know what his gift is, invest his faith in it, and let the people have it. Next, if any man minister, that's serve. If any man serve, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion for ever and ever. And here we are stewards of the gift of God, and one day we will give an account of our stewardship. And it's no good you're saying, oh, well, you see, well, I got a bit bored with that particular gift that you gave me, and I didn't want to do it. God will actually say, it was a gift from me, how have you used it? All right, back to Romans and chapter 12. And in verse 8, we get tucked away for very, very important ministries. And probably there are people in the midst here who've had these ministries and you didn't know what they were called before. Well, here they are. Let's read verse 8 again. Or he that exhorteth, let him wait on his exhortation. If you've got the gift of exhortation, then exhort. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, not ordinary giving, the gift of giving. He that ruleth, the gift of ruling, let him do it with diligence. And he that has the gift of showing mercy, let him do it with cheerfulness. Now what strange gifts these are. Let's take the first one. This is a very important one. The gift of exhortation. And if you read uh, some commentaries, you'll find they dismiss this with a sentence. 
And what they say is, well, exhortation is really encouragement. And they say in the church there are some people who always got a smile on their face. And they're always encouraging around. Now, can I say, it is important to have people who have the gift of encouragement. It's wonderful to have encouragers around. But that's not what's being talked about here. Oh, that we had more encouragers around. Trouble is, in the body of Christ, you've got so many discouragers around. You know, the people who think of the negative all the time and think of the problems and they're always willing to pass on what's bad. And, uh, oh, have you heard about her? Oh, yes, let me just tell you the latest. And it's always something really awful. And these are the discouragers in the midst. What we need, you know, as the song says, is a few cockeyed optimists, right? Who, whenever they see a situation, they all see the good therein. Right? You know the old story about a man with half a glass. You see, there's half a glass. And the optimist comes along and says, Praise the Lord, I've got half a glass of water. The pessimist says, Oh dear, only half a glass of water. There are two ways of looking at it. We need people who really can see the best in everything. And after all, true love, you know, is seeing the best in everything. We need people like that. It's lovely, isn't it, after you've ministered, when someone comes up and says, Oh brother, I just want to say, that really did bless me. And there were you thinking, oh, I was really out of the spirit. And they've really blessed you. Now, that's a wonderful ministry. Incidentally, a minister friend of mine is a cockeyed optimist, if ever I've met one. He and I have often been in meetings. And after the meeting, you should hear the glowing report that comes from his mouth. I sometimes think we've been in a separate meeting. <laughs> and his wife actually says, oh, he wears spiritual rose-colored glasses all the time. You know? And if ever he's on, you're on the phone to him and you say, how did your meeting go? Oh, Roger, it was wonderful! <laughs> and you think, well, what was it really like? And sometimes I say, put your wife on. <laughs> and the wife comes on and say, what was it really like? Well, it was all right in parts. And you know, this chap's so encouraging, he's only seen the good parts, forgets the other bits, doesn't matter about those. Well, that's a lovely person to have around, but it's not the gift of exhortation. All right? After all that, it's not. So if you've got the gift of encouragement, God bless you and please use it a lot. But the gift of exhortation has nothing to do with that. And so often when you come to a verse like this, to understand what it's talking about, you have to look at the Greek. And here, the word exhortation is the word paraklesis. P-A-R-A, para, K-L, long E, S-I-S. The word paraklesis. And it's made of two Greek words, para, which means alongside, and klesis from the word to call. And it literally means to call alongside. And this is the ministry of being called alongside. You see? It's a wonderful gift. It means this, to call for someone's aid, to call for someone's help in emergency, to summon someone because you need them. And the gift here is the ability to really understand people, to really get alongside with people, to really, as I suppose they would say, to vibrate at the same level with people, to empathize with people, whatever other phrase you want to use. Some people have a gift of really understanding what's on someone's heart. And these people spend time with others and they come alongside others they ask questions about the background, perhaps. They ask questions about what's going on in this person's life. And they're able to really understand who that person is. If that's your gift, you have the gift of exhortation. And what do you do then? Do you just say, oh, well, there, there, there? No, you don't. 
The whole idea is that once you are on their level, you then minister to them whatever they need. It could be deliverance, right? It could be prayer for healing of various sorts. But you get into their lives in prayer and allow God to come in so that gradually then you build them up in their faith so that when they leave you, they are encouraged and able to go on in this Christian walk with new vigor. That is the ministry of exhortation, right? Sometimes, you know, it's just the ability to sit and listen to someone. Some people just need someone to pour it all out to. And all they want is someone who's got their eyes open, got their ears open, and who is nodding. That's all they need. Some people just need that. You see, it's true. That is a very, very important ministry, and some people have it as a gift. Now, I believe every Christian should be able to do this when necessary. But some people have the ability, really, to so get alongside people that people just open up their whole hearts to them. That is the ministry that is being talked about here. And so, in the body of Christ, we need people who are specialized in this type of personal counseling and this type of ministry. I have to tell you this, that a few years ago, I used to do a lot of this type of counselling. I still do some now, but not as much as I did. And in fact, in the early days of the fellowship, a lot of this was done by a lot of different people. But the trouble was, in the early days of the fellowship, we had mainly young married couples with children, and we had single people who were out at work all day. And you see, that doesn't give you too much time for sitting down to vibrate with people. <laughs> does it? And I realized that as the fellowship was growing and I found myself getting busier and busier and spending time with people took an awful lot of the time I had available, that we needed people with this particular ministry to come in. And I suppose it's about two or three years ago that I actually asked the Lord to provide people. And I said, Lord, I specifically want A, married couples whose children have grown up. You see? So that actually they are freer then, and they're able to spend time with other people. And secondly, I want, please, people who may be retired and therefore have no other call upon their time. And I ask the Lord to provide us with the, th that type of person who was able to actually give this form of ministry. And I have to tell you this, that in the last three years I've seen my prayers beginning to be answered. In fact, the whole population structure of the fellowship has shifted. I don't know whether you've noticed in the last two years. It's been really wonderful. And these people have actually come in and now we have people beginning more and more to be available in this type of ministry. That is the ministry of exhortation and it's a very important one. So what does it say? It says here, he that exhorteth, right? He that has this particular ministry, let him fulfill that ministry. Let him exhort. It's interesting, you know, that uh, Jesus actually called the Holy Spirit the paraclete, the one called alongside. And do remember the translation of that is the comforter. You've heard me say before that the word comfort doesn't mean there, 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 there. It doesn't. Do you remember it's used of giving someone a push forward in their faith. You're expecting the comforter to come along and he comes along and he pushes you forward and you say, that's not what I was expecting. And God actually moves you on and says, get up and off you go. You see, now that is the meaning, really, of this type of ministry. You don't uh, allow people to just sit and have sympathy all the time. You actually inspire them to move on in their faith, do you see? And so the Holy Spirit is the comforter. 
Incidentally, there's one man who was an expert at this ministry in the Bible. Let's keep your finger in the place, and let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And let's go to verse 36, and here he is, Joseph. But that's not the name we really know him by. Joseph. And an interesting phrase is used of him. In Acts 4, 36... And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, and then in brackets, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. And consolation there is the same word, right? The son of exhortation, he's sometimes called. And there he is. And by the way, when you see this phrase, the son of, it often means that the man had that character, you see. It's almost as if consolation gave birth to him. He's such a consoling type of chap. You can go with him... with any, you can go to him with any problem and he really understands and he's able to give you the word of the Lord in that problem. He's the son of consolation, you see. And Barnabas, I believe, had that type of ministry. He had other ministries as well, obviously. But there we are. That's the ministry of exhortation. All right, with that said, let's go on to the second one. And this is now the gift of giving. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Now, this does not mean ordinary giving. Now, next time, I'll be dealing with giving as part of the Fellowship Life series. That's not the gift of giving. The gift of giving here is different in that it stems from personal involvement with someone. You see, when we give our money, or when we give, say, to the work of the Lord, that can be very impersonal, can't it? You put it in an envelope, you push it in the box or you, you take the money out of your pocket and on your way out you just dump it through the slot in the top of the box. And that can be very impersonal. That's not the gift of giving. The gift of giving is this. It's when you know that someone is in need and the Lord seems to lay that person specially upon your heart and you find that you're so motivated towards this person that you just want to help them in whatever area they need help. Do you know the type of thing? that I'm talking about. This is something that stems from personal involvement. Uh, Quite recently, we had uh, a couple who lost everything that they had. And, of course, an announcement was made, we're going to make a collection for them in the fellowship. And so people gave money to them. But there were some people in the fellowship who didn't just give money. They got personally involved with this couple. And I know of one couple, who will remain nameless, who as soon as they heard of it, they didn't give money, They found what they needed now, and they went to the nearest shop, and they bought everything they needed now. Now, that's the gift of giving. Do you see? It comes from personal involvement. And by the way, often, this type of giving is done by people who can't, in the natural, afford it. You see? And that's why it's so embarrassing. They just can't afford it, but they can't help themselves. They're so one with the person who's in need that they've just got to help them. It might be time, and they have little time themselves, but they've got to give the time might be money and they're pretty hard up themselves but yet they give the money and so it goes on this is a particular gift that some people receive you see and by the way I think we all receive it from time to time now over one person you may not receive it you just give as you would give as a Christian brother or sister but over someone else you're really deeply involved with them and so it's really upon your heart you can't forget them and so you receive this gift of giving And so what does it say? If you've got that gift, why do it with simplicity? 
And that means with no ulterior motive. Oh, I see my chance to get in with them now. I've always wanted them to feel that I really love them. So now I'm going to... That's all wrong. Because you see, you've got an ulterior motive. No. This gift has nothing to do with motive whatsoever. You just do it because God's laid it upon your heart and you can't... Woe unto me if I do not give to them. That's the gift of giving. Praise God, we've got people like that in the fellowship here. All right, that's the second gift then. The third gift is a fairly simple one. He that has the gift of rulership, let him do it with diligence. Or he that ruleth, do it with diligence. And the word rule means to be set over someone. It means to be the chief power, to have authority. And there are certain people who have a gift of authority. They don't know why they've got it. They haven't earned it or deserved it. It isn't because they're charismatic people or intelligent people. They've just got a gift. And they know they've got it and other people know they've got it. And you can't define it. I suppose, you know, I used to see this when I was a teacher at a school. Some teachers had it and some didn't have it. And if you didn't have it, you couldn't get it. But if you've got it, you couldn't lose it. It's amazing. And some had it. Now, in the Christian sphere, this is a gift from God. And you'll find some people have this gift. And you just know they're in a place of authority. They can be sitting on the back row. But as soon as you see them, you just know they've got it. Whatever it is. It's a gift. I would say that every elder ought to have this gift. And elders generally have it to a greater degree or a lesser degree. But it's a gift that all elders should really pray for. So that people, as soon as they meet them, know they're meeting with God's authority. You see? All right. So there it is. There it is. If you have this gift of rulership, then do it with diligence, which means in haste, with all your heart, you know, with, with the fullness that's within you. If you are a ruler in the midst, take it seriously and don't just rest on your laurels. That's the message. And the last one is a lovely gift. This is a beautiful one, but sometimes quite hard to stomach. And this is the gift of showing mercy or doing works of mercy. Mercy. Now, what's this mean? Well, you see, in every fellowship at times, you get people who are rather difficult cases. And they come along, and they may be difficult for many reasons. It might be a spiritual problem, mental problem, it might be just an ordinary physical problem. But for some reason, they're difficult. Perhaps they're naturally rebellious, whatever it is. And <coughs> what happens is a fellowship normally plows itself in, in terms of ministry, to that person. And they're ministered to, they're given help and all the rest. And then sometimes after you've done it for two years, they're still as bad as they ever were. And at that point, generally speaking, most fellowships think we can't carry on. You know, we've done all we can do, and I'm afraid that's it. We've had to do it sometimes in our own fellowship. Well, we've tried and tried. It's worn everyone out, and still there's a problem. And just as you're about to say to everyone, look, I'm sorry, we're we're having nothing to do with this anymore, which really worn us out. There's always the chap or the woman who's got the gift of mercy. And this person stands up and says, oh, I've got such a burden for that person. And you're all ready to dump them. <laughs> and there they are. And for some reason, God has given them a tremendous ability of tenacity, of stickability with this person, long-suffering. And it seems as if while you are petering out, they reach the people other Christians can't reach. You see? 
And sometimes you think, why? How can they carry on with this person? Why? I'm fed up, you know, with that person. Why are they still going? How can they do it? And you think this is amazing. Yes, it is amazing. It's a gift from God. I remember I had this gift over one particular person who shall remain nameless. <laughs> and I had it. And I do know, I remember, and I really was prepared to lay down my life for this particular person and really see them through. And I would, you know, after a while, people say, oh, that's such a problem. Oh, it gives me the screaming head dabs. <laughs> and things like this. And I used to think, I don't understand it. I just can't see what they're seeing in this particular person. You know, I just think I've got the love of the Lord for this particular person. And at times we've all been in that position, haven't we? And sometimes we think, oh, I think they're a bit cruel on this chap. Yet they all seem to think it. And I'm the only one that seems to see good in that particular person. Well, praise the Lord, you've got the gift of mercy. Isn't that wonderful? I've generally found that the Lord takes you the extra mile, but if at the end of that the person still says no, then he removes the gift of mercy from you. But that's a lovely gift to have. And what does it say here? Well, he that showeth mercy, and if you've got this gift of mercy, and we've got people, praise God, who've got it. Do you know, there are some people who are in our fellowship today only because some people in the midst had the gift of mercy and long-suffering over these people. Praise God for these, this wonderful gift. If you've got it, then do it with cheerfulness. And the word is hilarity, right? You know, it's the same word. If you're going to give, give cheerfully. Give of your money. And this says, look, if you've got this gift, don't lay it on thick with everyone. Oh, they're still running me around. Oh, I'm such a martyr. Oh, the Lord. Oh. And what, what that's saying is, if that's your attitude, dispose of them. You know, drop them. Let God deal with them. But don't you lay it on thick. No, if you've got this gift, be cheerful. And say, oh, there's no problem. No problem? No, no problem at all. It's a wonderful gift. You see, it's a grace thing from the Lord. Now, they are four major gifts, and doesn't every fellowship need those four gifts? Yes, they do. All right, let's uh, pick up the other two. I want to deal with six here. The other two are found in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, and right at the end, that's why they're sometimes overlooked, And verse 28. Now can I say, I have not in this course dealt with apostles and prophets. And I will, um, as the Lord leads me, be doing a special tape on who an apostle is and what prophets are. But that's something later. It's not those two I want to take up. It's two others found later on. Let's read verse 28. <clears throat> and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, so there is an order of authority there, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, and here are the two, helps and governments. There it is, and then diversities of tongues. And so let's just pick up on the way through the ministry of helps and the ministry of governments. The word helps actually means support, support. It means, it's a word which means taking the burden from someone else. And actually it covers a very large area of ministry. 
Now usually it's used in the practical sense. Here are the people who just love mucking in with the crowd. Right? They love it. The minute someone needs a room decorated, wow, they're around there. Right? And they've got their brushes with them. Don't have to worry about brushes, dear. I'll bring my own. And they're, they've been in the shed and they're already. Have you got the paint? It doesn't matter. I'll go and get the paint. And off they rush to get the paint. Wallpaper, anything like that. Running errands. Oh, don't mention it. I'll be right round and I'll do it. There they are. Now, people who don't have this particular gift can't understand it. But some people love doing this. Moving people. The minute someone wants to be moved, up they all come. And generally speaking, I can name the people with this particular gift in the fellowship. Incidentally, I do think most of us at times should help these people who have the ministry of helps. I mean, I have been known to move wardrobes around the fellowship from time to time. I'm not very good at it. They never ask me again. <laughs> But I do try. I am quite a good wallpaperer, you know, I'm quite fast. But uh, actually, uh, actually painting drives me really round the bend. I can't bear it. So if I get a three-hour space, I'll come and wallpaper a wall for you. But there are some people who love doing it. For me, it's a real trial. But they love doing it. Now, do you see what they're doing? They're actually taking the weight off someone's shoulders. Here's a person, and oh, how am I going to get this room decorated? And suddenly, the Ministry of Helps is there on the phone. Wonderful. Oh, yes, well, I'm a bit busy this week. I'll be around next week, okay? Don't mention it. It's perfectly all right. Oh, no, I'd love to. Don't think about it. That's the type of phrase that goes with it. Oh, aren't they refreshing people? They're lovely. The Ministry of Helps. These are the type of people who don't want to take the service at a wedding. They don't want to speak at the wedding. They don't want to be a bridesmaid or play the piano. They don't want to do anything. Do you know what they want to do? They want to be carving the turkey, getting it all ready. <laughs> they can't sit down and be waited upon at a wedding reception. No, sir. They're out with the plates, balancing everywhere. And round the table they go. That's the Ministry of Helps. And there are some people who cannot sit still at a reception. I find it terribly simple to sit still at a reception. <laughs> But that's the ministry of helps. But it's not just a practical ministry. At the other end of the extreme, under this heading will come the ministry of intercessory prayer. That also helps. Now it's funny that, isn't it? But you see, what I mean is that God may lay someone on your heart who's got problems and you can't let them go. Now my wife and I were up at about four o'clock this morning with a real burden on our hearts at least. My wife was up having a time with the Lord. I had a burden and couldn't sleep, you see. <laughs> and so we both went down. I shared the burden with my wife, and we really had a cup of tea and talked it through and really tried to seek the, the mind of the Lord concerning that particular problem. Now, I had taken a burden on myself. Now, do you see, in a sense, if the burden's slightly on me, it's off someone else. Now, that's the ministry of helps. You're supporting someone. And so if you have a prayer ministry specifically related to individual people, then uh, that's the ministry of helps as well. You're taking the burden. So that's an important ministry, the ministry of helps. Okay? The second one is the ministry of governments. The second one found here, number six in the total list that I'm dealing with tonight. The ministry of governments. And the word here actually means to guide, to steer, or to pilot. You see? Now again, every elder ought to have this gift, right? To steer, to pilot, 
to guide the work of God. But it's not just a gift for elders. If you are in charge of anything, you should pray for this gift. It is a gift of organisational ability. And we also have people in the fellowship who are excellent organisers. Excellent. Whether they're dealing with tapes, whether they're dealing you know, with Sunday school, whether they're dealing with kindergarten, whatever it is, you need that particular ministry, the ministry of governments. And you need to ask the Lord for that particular ministry. So there you've got it. That is organisational ability which makes things run smoothly. Now here are six very unusual gifts and you never really hear them spoken about. But now they're on tape, hallelujah, and they will be spoken about from this time on. Okay, but how do you know which one suits you? Now you've got to be careful at this point. I have found this, that often God may at first give you a ministry and then he'll change it halfway through. For example, my own ministry, when I was first born again, was one of deliverance and the word of knowledge. There are, there are one or two people in this auditorium tonight who remember me at university when that was my main ministry. right? And whenever I spoke on this type of thing, the room was absolutely full. I was always ministering to people. The deliverances were absolutely out of this world. People being filled with the Holy Spirit left, right and centre. Wow, we never stopped. Right? My motto was, we never closed. And that was the way I thought my ministry was going. Now suddenly, I found I was a Bible teacher. So you do have to be slightly careful. But I think I can help you decide which ministry you have, because everyone in the body of Christ has a ministry. Do you remember? Ribs plus. A gift. If you don't remember that, body ministry, take one and take two, are to be listened by you. Every single person who is a believer has a gift from God. Now, I think if I asked you which of the following ministries you would like to do, it would probably show you where your area of ministry is. Say in the fellowship we needed ministry or ministries around, and say I actually sent a letter around to everyone saying, look, we need the following. Could you tick which one you think is your particular forte? Which would you choose? Now, I've listed four. Perhaps you maybe think of, of others. Which would you choose of these? Would you choose to be a teacher? That's the first ministry. Would you? That is either training new converts in the faith or giving talks to develop people who are already mature or maturing or perhaps give a talk on a specific subject. Would you immediately say, oh, yes, I'm longing to? Or not? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, lest anyone boast, but... Would you immediately plump for that and put a tick there? If so, probably your area of gift will be in teaching. Or would it be, number two, in personal ministry? Is this where you feel that you would have a particular forte as far as God is concerned? Now, this isn't just deliverance, although deliverance comes in there. It isn't just spiritual healing. I'm also talking in this this category of people who might, for example, go alongside someone who doesn't know how to run their finances and give them a help in running their finances. That would be personal counselling as well. Or go along a woman and uh, alongside a woman who doesn't know how to run her housekeeping or her home. And then you actually say, well, dear, and it's normally another woman that does this, can I just give you a few hints on how to, to do this? Or bringing up children or whatever it is. That would come under personal ministry. 
Do you see? Deliverance, spiritual healing, generally speaking, and also this down-to-earth nitty-gritty counselling that is necessary. Would that be your particular forte? If it would, perhaps that's where your area of gift is. You might start off with that and then turn into a teacher. You never know. Or three, would it be a practical ministry? Well, I know I'm not much good at counselling or teaching, but, you know, give me a hammer and a saw and I'm well away, you know. Oh, you want your chair put level? Okay, and off he goes, you know, and you end up with this dwarf chair. <laughs> or perhaps bricklaying or moving or whatever it is, washing up, whatever the practical aspect is. Is that the one you plump for? And by the way, don't think that's menial. We need them all. There's no order as far as the, these are concerned. We need them all in the body of Christ. If we're all teachers, may the Lord deliver us. <laughs> if we're all doing personal ministry, really, we're going to be in a terrible mess. If we're all practical, we'll have the nicest houses out, but that will be it. So is it a practical ministry you'll be going for? Or is it number four, administration? Is that the one that you'd have for? In other words, well, yes, let's get this organised. You know, let's draw graphs of various things so that we know where we are. Let's uh, see if we can streamline the thing a bit more. Do you see? And that might be your particular ministry. And some people love doing that. But some people love it. And administration will come in at that level. Now, this will probably be, you know, perhaps a pointer to what gifts you ought to actually ask for. And if you then compare this list with the ministers I've been through, you'll know which ones to actually ask for. For example, in pers personal ministry, you do need the gift of exhortation. You cannot do without the gift of exhortation. You must ask the Lord for the ministry of exhortation. You need the gift of mercy as well, and I would say of helps. Do you see? So you can go through these gifts and you can actually decide which ones to pray for in this particular list. All right, having said all of that, and before I go on to the next uh, section that I want to deal with, can I just give you four warnings if you are in ministry? Because I've generally found that there are four problems that every person in ministry has to be very careful about indeed. And these cause a lot of trouble and they can ruin your ministry. Not immediately, but later on they will. The first area is an obvious one, the area of pride. And I would warn all of you who are in any form of ministry at all, I would warn you that pride is a major enemy as far as your ministry is concerned. So the first main area that you have to be careful of is the area of pride. And here, for example, you might be proud of what you know. You know, when you swagger around... You give the impression, I know an awful lot, and what on earth do you think you're doing, questioning me about this particular thing? Or you might be proud about the ability that God's given you in communication. You might be proud about the number of people who are coming to you for ministry. You know, oh, wonderful, we're so successful now. Heavens, we're ministering every single moment of the day. And you can say that in a proud way. You can also share it in a concerned way. But just be careful. Or you can be proud at the results that you're getting, Oh, yes, it's fantastic what's happening. And so pride starts coming, coming through. Or proud at the number of people you're helping. Oh, well, I'm very busy, yes. You know, some people, well, they're so 
up in the air that they're of no earthly use, but I like to get down to real nitty-gritty stuff. And you can see the pride coming through. Or why? Organisation? I've got it off to a T. You know, absolutely. It's all organised. You don't have to worry. Oh, sure, it's perfect. And there the pride creeps in. You've got to be aware of that. Because almost always you must remember it's a gift from the Lord, nothing to do with you. Right? And that's why you must beware of fame. Fame is a very stupid thing to, to desire. Because the more famous you become, the more work you have to do. You know, it's a very stupid thing to desire to be famous. To be nice and quiet is what the Bible says you should desire to be. So beware of fame. The second thing is the problem of divisiveness. That is causing division if you have a ministry. Because sometimes you can actually, without realising you've got it, get a holier-than-thou type of attitude. You know, well, of course, um, you know, we think that uh, this particular gift is one that's uh, very important. And, of course, we're experts at it now. Well, no, I don't think they have it. And so, you see what, you've got this holier-than-thou. Praise God I'm not like other men. And very often, you look down upon this person or upon that person, you see. And sometimes you find that, uh, I, funnily enough, I was ministering this over at Bogner on Sunday morning, that some people who are the high flyers in the spirit often think, oh, they're so low down, they've really got their feet on the earth over there. Why don't they learn to soar in the spirit? And the people who are right down, you know, really plodding through say, oh, you know, they're too super spiritual. And sometimes you get a division then caused in the body of Christ. We need both, you see. You've got to have both if you're going to be healthy. And so we've got to be aware of any divisiveness that comes in as far as these ministries are concerned. The next one is the problem of bitterness. And this is one that is a serious one. Sometimes, you see, in a fellowship, you may have a particular ministry and the fellowship hasn't grown enough yet for that ministry to fully be accepted and manifested. And sometimes you can get really bitter about this. Well, I'm all ready to go, Lord, and they don't want my ministry. And that's it. Sometimes, as a Bible teacher, you can get very bitter. I know I've had to fight with this at times myself. You know, I've sweated over a Bible study. It's been hard going. Really felt like cancelling it at the last one. I said, I need another week to get it sorted out. And then someone pops in, oh, will you be there tonight? Oh, well, I'm slightly tired, so I think I'll give it a miss. <laughs> and so I can think, well, if that's the attitude, forget it. And bitterness can creep in. Or you give a Bible study and hardly anyone turns up. And they think, really, you know, why do I bother? And that can be a problem, you see. Or perhaps no one recognises your ministry. And there you are, you've been working jolly hard and the practical thing behind the scenes and no one's thanked you at the wedding. <laughs> and then you go home and you say, jolly unfair, I've spent three hours putting out those rosettes or whatever it was. And no one stood up and thanked me. And sometimes bitterness can creep in because no one's recognised your ministry. But let me tell you, God sees your ministry. You've been ministering unto him. He'll reward you. You don't have to worry. And, beloved, the, the real thing is this. It's not the ministry that you've got that counts. It's whether you've been faithful in the ministry that counts. And you might have what you consider a menial ministry. And you might look at all the other people and say, they've got such a super ministry. Why can't I have that? But when you reach heaven, God will say to you both, how, have you, how faithful have you been? And if you've both been 100% faithful, you'll both get equal reward. Isn't that wonderful? Oh yes, and your job might be just unlocking the whore. 
And that might be your job. But you've got to do it faithfully. Because if you fall down, then we have no meeting. Or an open-air meeting, whichever <laughs> you desire. All right? Sometimes, if people feel that their ministry isn't being received, they get a bit pushy and rather touchy about it. And you've got to be very careful. We've got to be patient. As we see in just a moment, our ministries are related to a local fellowship. And at the rate they grow is the rate that our ministers grow. And we've got to be happy with that. I had a prophecy given to me on Sunday, which was important. I could say amen to it. It just said this. My son, if you will minister out from this fellowship, in other words, see yourself as part of this fellowship, your ministry will remain fresh. The minute you see yourself as a minister apart from this fellowship is the day you will dry up. And my heart said amen, because that's the way I want it. And that's got to be the attitude of us all, you see. So don't let bitterness creep in. God knows about it, and he'll make sure it comes to pass. And the fourth problem, which is a very real one, is the problem of tiredness. Tiredness. And sometimes you can be ministering and ministering and ministering, and you get tired, and sometimes the first thing you know about this tiredness is you feel a bit low, even slightly depressed. And you think, what's going on? I feel, I haven't felt like this for years. And you think it's some serious problem, but it's not. You're just overtired. And I have learnt, you know, that sometimes it's not just the Lord that sends people to your door. It's the devil sometimes who sends them to your door. And I remember I got really tired when I was first ministering to individuals and doing counselling ministry, because that's exhausting, counselling uh, individuals. It really is, because you're giving of yourself the whole time. It's exhausting. And I was doing it and doing it and doing it. And finally, a mature Christian came up to me and he said, why do you let the devil kick you around like this? And I was affronted. I said, the Lord is in my ministry, not the devil. He said, well, it's the devil sending some of those people to you. And I realized it was true that these people were wearing me out. Then I had to ask the Lord, show me who's genuine. Show me who's real and wants to get sorted out. And Lord, preserve me from the evil workers in Jesus' name. And tiredness is a major problem. By the way, can I just tell you this? Research has now proved that you need a day off a week. Right? Research has proved that now. And generally, it's this, that uh, uh, the figures are something like this, that actually every day you use an ounce more energy than you actually take in through food. And when you go to sleep at night, only five-sixths of the energy is replaced. One-sixth deficit every single day. After six days, it's one ounce that you've got to make up. So you need a day off to make up the ounce. I'm not the person to be ministering on this, but can I say it to you? And I think that all ministers have to be scrupulous about this. This is why the elders attempt to get two evenings off per week. And that's why no one should begrudge them any other time that they take off. If you are in any ministry, you must make sure you get time off. What I tend to do is save up my days off, and then I have two or three days altogether, and during which I can relax, do you see? And that's what I must do even more scrupulously this year. But I know God's talking to me about it. But tiredness is a major enemy. Now, we must watch those particular things. May I say, the first three of those problems are solved automatically if you remember you've been given these things by grace. You see, you can't become proud then. You can't become bitter. You can't become divisive. All you are is a little servant, a Balaam's ass that God happens to choose to use when he pleases. 
And then all of a sudden it's all solved, you see. All right, let's go back to Romans 12 and let's see verse 3, which is really the warning that is given about this. Romans 12 and verse 3. <clears throat> and this is what it says. This is why it's put in here. For I say, notice, through the grace given unto me. Isn't that amazing? I say this to you in my position of authority because the grace of God has given me that authority. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So remember, it's by grace you've received these things. And I want to say one other thing before I just go on to a quick consideration of women's ministry. I want to say one other thing. The ministries that function in a body are part of the local fellowship. They are not in independence. And that has to be maintained always. Now some people use their ministries against the fellowship that they're in. They're using it to undermine, to undercut the fellowship. I tell you that, if you know of any minister who's doing that, don't touch them with a barge pole because they will lead you very rapidly into total barrenness and they'll leave, leave you nowhere. You'll have nothing. You must see that the ministry is geared to the local body. We're part of the body here and our ministry functions from the body. Now that's important. We'll see that in just a minute uh, when I deal with women's ministry uh, in, in just a moment. But that is important. And that is why the ministers in the body, I think, have got to be very careful, I mean those who've already come into the fullness of their ministry, that they show the body that they are identifying with the fellowship overall. I've never said this to the elders or to the leaders or to the deacons, but they all know it in their hearts. Every elder, every deacon and every leader is expected to be at every meeting. They or their wives. To be represented as a household. At every meeting. Sunday, midweek and any other meeting that we should have. Now I've never said it to any of them. But they all know it in their hearts. You see? Why? Because you see it's such a simple demonstration that we're in this together. We're part of this fellowship. There is a little thing called noblesse oblige. And noblesse oblige is the principle that we have here. Noblesse oblige means that, says this, all men are free to do as they please, but those who have a rank are not as free as the others. That's what it basically says. You could put it in other words, do you see? And I tell you that elders are not as free as other people to just say, oh, well, I've got to seek the Lord and it's Tuesday evening and it's midweek meeting, so I'm going to miss the meeting. They're not as free to do that. They can do it, but they're not as free to do it. Say we had four elders, four out of the eight elders, who never, ever, ever came to a midweek mid meeting. It would demoralise, wouldn't it? Vast sections of the fellowship. It would. Because what they'd be saying is, well, you know, we turn out to worship the Lord, you know, and sometimes we're exhausted, but they don't bother. Now what's all that about? And you see, that is an obligation upon those in the ministry. And I would say this, if you desire to minister in the fellowship, that is the minimum responsibility that you have. 
you must go and show the fellowship that you are part of what God is doing overall in the fellowship. Incidentally, this is why I never minister to people on a Tuesday evening. Right? Except, of course, in an emergency. If it's a real emergency, I'll do it. But I never do. I had someone ring earlier this evening. You know, and it seemed to be quite an emergency. Could you see me tonight? I said, quite impossible. And by the way, I'd have said that if it was going to be a praise meeting. I would not have seen them on Tuesday. I never see anyone on a Tuesday. Do you know why? Because either I or my wife will be at the meeting. And if I'm not at the meeting, I'm praying for the meeting. It's not a night off for me. I'm praying. You see, it's involvement. Now, it's very important to get that into our thinking. And I would just say that at this moment. The ministries from the body have responsibility to the body. May I say, I have no complaints about the ministries that I know functioning in the body. I find, you know, that they do fulfil their responsibilities like that. All right. With that said, can I now go on to study the subject of women's ministries? And those of you who were with me when I talked about deacons will know that there was a little verse we came across last time and I said, I'm going to deal with it next time. So can we turn to this fascinating little verse that's found in 1 Timothy and chapter 3. Now this is for the more mature among you. Now we've been in 1 Timothy chapter 3 quite a lot and during this course. And, and those of you who've been with me during some of these studies will know the format of this particular chapter. From verse 1 to verse 7 we have the qualities needed in elders. From verse 8 to verse 13, you have the qualities expected in a deacon. But suddenly, in the middle of the qualities of a deacon, you get this little verse that seems to be shoved in. No rhyme or reason to it, apparently. And it's verse 11. Here he is, he's talking about deacons. Let's read verse 10 and just check it's about deacons. 1 Timothy 3 verse 10. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Now here's the AV as, uh, about verse 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. And then in verse 12, back to deacons again. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. And it's because verse 11 seems stranded. It's a bit like a seal washed up on Margate Beach. You know, it's out of place, doesn't fit, what's it all about? And it's because it was so stranded that the King James translators thought, well, we've got to try and make it make sense. And so what they did, they said, let the deacon's wives, which is not what it says at all, let the deacon's wives be so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so. Now, that verse has nothing to do with deacon's wives at all. It would be odd if it did, wouldn't it? Because nothing is said about elders' wives. So apparently elders can have anyone. <laughs> Doesn't matter, the elders' wives are completely free. Wow, they can have a wonderful life. But deacon's wives, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm, can't be right. So we got a problem with it. 
And I have to tell you that the translation given in the AV is not correct. The New American Standard Version, which is the most accurate translation of the Bible that there is at the moment in English, though the NIV is very good as well, has got this right. The word translated wives in verse 11 is the ordinary Greek word for women. Women. Sometimes it means wives, sometimes it means brides. But usually it just means women. Okay? And that's why the NIV, uh, the um, New American Standard Version, translates as women. Uh, it says something like, even so, women must be, and then we can continue, grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Okay, so you've got here a category of women. And these are a particular category of women. How do we know that? Well, because of the word even so at the beginning of verse 11. The, the, word ev the words even so, are the, it, it's in the Greek, it's the same word used in verse 8. Likewise. And you see in verse 8, it is used to show a change in meaning. Up to verse 8, it's been talking about elders. From verse 8 onwards, it's talking about deacons, and the little word likewise shows it's talking about a different category. So when it's used later on, it also means it's talking about a different group of people. So verse 11 is a different group of people. Women, specifically. Now some people actually say, aha, deaconesses. That's what they say. And so in some places you get three main categories of ministers. You get the elders, you get the deacons, say seven deacons, and you get, say, seven deaconesses. Three categories. Now, it cannot be a separate category like elders or deacons. If it were, Paul would have written it like this. He would have actually had all the verses on elders together, together. then he would have had all the verses on deacons together, and then he would have brought in the women at the end, so that there would have been three major categories of ministries. No, that's not what he's trying to do. And the reason he pokes it in here is to remind everyone that women have legitimate ministries too. And the point is, you see, that the elders are men. The deacons are men. Search out from among yourselves seven men of, it says. And here, just in case these, uh, these people who are going to read this letter suddenly think, oh, it's only the men that do the ministry around here. He says, oh, no, it isn't. You women as well, may I remind you, he says, you've got to have qualities too. And he pokes it in at that point. So here, he says it's not a separate category, just a limited group of deaconesses. He says it covers all women's ministries. And by the way, it's lovely in our fellowship that we do respect the ministry of women. We do. The number of women from other fellowships who come... Uh, to see Ros and I, and they say, honestly, it's wonderful the way your women can minister, and people receive their ministry. Oh, they say, if only it happened in our fellowship. And it doesn't. The reason that's put in there is to show that women have legitimate ministries that have to be recognised. Of course, everyone talks about Phoebe at this point, if they know what they're, they're doing. Can I just uh, take you to the little passage on Phoebe? And they all say, well, Phoebe was a deaconess. It says so. No, it doesn't. If you were with me last time, you know that it doesn't. Let's go to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Let's, let me introduce you to Phoebe. 
We don't know whether she was married or single. We don't know anything about her. All we know was that she was a servant of the church. Wonderful. And here she is, verse 1. I commend unto you, he says, Phoebe. I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church. Do you see that? At Sencria. There it is. I commend unto you this sister who is a servant of the church. Now here is a woman with a ministry. And the word servant there is the word, of course, that we saw last time, meaning a minister. Meaning a, a servant. And do you remember we saw that it only refers to deacons in a few places. It refers to all Christians in other places. And all this means is that this woman ministered in the midst. That's all it means. And notice, she doesn't say, I'm a minister of God. Now, some people talk like that. And if you say, well, I'm a minister of the Lord, what you're doing, you're putting yourself apart. In other words, I, I am obedient to the Lord and to absolutely no one else. That's the type of feeling uh, in that type of thing. It doesn't say she's a servant of the Lord here. It says she's a servant of the church. Isn't that interesting? And that's why I believe all ministries in the midst are servants of the church. They're ministers of the church. You can't separate a ministry from the fellowship that it's in. You cannot. It's dangerous the minute you try and do it. They'll end up nowhere. She is a minister of the church. That doesn't mean she was one of the select seven deaconesses. doesn't. It means all women, actually, who in any way try and minister can be commended in this type of way. And we must see that women are really needed in their ministry in the body of Christ. This male idea of dominance is wrong. That's why when I'm asked, can a woman be a priest? Of course a woman can be a priest. We're all priests, right? We're the royal priesthood of God. All of us, whether you're male or female. Whether you can be an elder is another question. But I've dealt with, of course, on my tape, can women wear hats in, should women wear hats in church, right? Which I suggest you get if you don't understand that particular thing. But all women have ministries. And that doesn't just mean the married women. It means the single women and the widows. Now, if ever there was a neglected group in the body of Christ, it's single women and widows. Oh, really? Single women? Well, I expect you're praying to get married, aren't you? That's how they're dismissed, you know. Oh, a widow. Well, we'll look after you, dear. And that's a, It's appalling, that type of attitude that comes over. It's wrong. And do you know, in the early church... In the early church, 1 Timothy 3.11 was taken specifically for single women and for widows. Now, I think it also includes married women. Married women tend to have their ministries very much at home. It's a home-based type of ministry. Often, they have young children around, and so their ministry has to be more related to the home. Sometimes it has to do with their hospitality as well. They give a person a meal, then they may minister to the person. Right? Sometimes the person just comes into their home and they receive ministry there. Sometimes their ministry is a joint ministry with their husbands, or it may be a complementary ministry with their husbands. Do you see? Uh, but they have a legitimate ministry, married women. And it's different, you know, it varies. Some, again, are more practical in their ministry, others are more spiritual. We need them both. Incidentally, as I've gone on with the Lord, I've seen the importance more and more of the home. I really have. And I've seen in our own fellowship, it's when we started getting married couples and homes established that the fellowship became settled and more quiet. It's funny. 
But that's true. And I've also noticed this, that if a person is contented at home and fulfilled at home and satisfied at home, they're generally contented and fulfilled and satisfied in the fellowship, generally speaking. You see, not always true, but generally it is true. It's when they're frustrated at home, when there is no spirituality at home, that they tend to find relationships, you know, even in the body of Christ, rather difficult. I've tended to notice that. The type of thing I'm talking about is this, that if most people who are content at home get two complete days off, without anyone calling, without anyone ringing, they just praise the Lord for it. It's wonderful. Hallelujah, you know. Oh, I've been able to seek the Lord, and we had a wonderful time. But if you're discontent at home, you tend to think, why hasn't anyone rung? I can't stand it here. Do you see? And, and I found that the home is really vitally important. And I'm working with that at the moment as far as the Lord is concerned. Dear Don Morris has such a revelation of this point, you know, on this point. Perhaps I'll get him down to minister to us on it because it's an important one. It really is true, I've noted. You know, I've noticed it uh, in my own experience. And that's why we must make sure that our homes are the, the place of contentedness. The fellowship can never do in your life what your home ought to be doing. It cannot, even though you might expect it to. It cannot and will not, you see. And so, you see, if you've got a married couple who are content at home, and more than that, they're able to use their home then for the Lord, they're a powerful twosome. But it's not just married couples that are used in the ministry. Single women are and widows are. And the good thing about single women... And widows are this. They have two qualities that married women, especially with children, tend not to have. One is availability. And the second one is flexibility. It's a wonderful thing, that. Because sometimes, you see, you have an emergency suddenly crop up. Well, it's no good going to my wife in an emergency. She's got the two kids to look after. And unless you can get a babysitter, she can't come out. You see? Is Ross there? Can you come over? No, I can't. I've got these two children. But a single woman can come straight over. A woman without children can come, come over as well. You see, a widow can come right over. And that is why in the early church, widows and single people had particular ministries. Now, I've actually listed down in the margin of my Bible six ministries that they had. And may I say, dear sisters, please come into your ministry. And welcome. Welcome. We will cover you. We will be thrilled with your ministry in the midst. Let me show you these six ministries. That There were more than this, actually, in the early church, but these are the main six that I've picked out. First of all, they visited the sick. If they heard someone was sick, and they were in the locality, round they went and they helped. Do you see? They went and they prayed with that particular person. They visited the sick. People with young children, you can pray at home, but you can't really go and visit. The second thing is, they helped the poor. Right? Some people were poor, and they actually went in and helped them. They might do some cooking with them. They might say, oh, I'll bring the stuff along and we'll have an afternoon of cooking together, or something like that. They actually went along and they helped the poor. The third, and have you ever thought of this ministry? They encouraged other sisters who are married to non-Christians. That's an important ministry. We have some people in our own fellowship who are married to non-Christians. And often it's the single people and the widows who go and visit them, you know, and share. All married couples, of course. These, all of these are open to married women as well. But I think the single women are able to do this um, probably more freely. Number four, they assisted with the sick. And sometimes if a woman is sick, she's got three children, you need someone who can get in there and now. So who do you call upon? Unmarried? and the widow. 
especially the widows. It's a wonderful thing. And just ring them up. Oh, uh, have you got anything on? No. Right. Could you go over, please? And we'll be over and we'll arrange a rota. But could you go in right now? Good. Uh, five, they visited the lonely. There are people who are lonely, you know. It's jolly hard for them. And those who are in married bliss. And they get a free evening and they just love to close down the house and they can really be together. Yes, and there's some poor lonely person whose house is already closed up and they're all by themselves. Well, have you thought of going to visit those that you know are lonely? There are some married women with children who are lonely if their husbands have long hours. Go and visit them. Pop in and see them. And number six, they were diligent in prayer. All right, diligent as far as prayer was concerned. All right, so there would be the ministry of married women, sure, single women, widows. It's bigger than that, of course. I've just listed a few of them. Can I just end tonight by actually going through then the ministry of older women? Now, the Bible's quite clear about older women. Now, I'm not going to say, now, this is the age over which you are old. That's not it. But you know when you've got... Perhaps it's any person whose children are grown up. I don't know. Perhaps it is. Those who are more aged than the younger women. <laughs> As a general sort of divide. But the Bible actually lists what their ministry is. Because the Bible assumes that if these women have been Christians sometimes, their lives are now dealt with. It's quite an assumption. But let me tell you something... If the Bible assumes that, the Holy Ghost wants that. And if you're not sorted out, it's probably something in you that has stopped you being sorted out. Let's go to Titus, chapter 2, and let's just go through the ministry that they have. And the lovely thing Titus is saying is this, that an older woman with experience of life and having had dealings with the Holy Ghost is the best person to teach you about these things. And it's time some Bible teachers stop trying to tell women how to run their houses and let other older women get on with it. You'll never hear me speaking on how to run your house. Right? But we might have a Bible study from some person in future months, future years, who has experience and is able to do it. And if you know of such a person or if you are such a person, see me afterwards. I'll come into your house and check it out. Now then... <laughs> Titus in chapter 2, and we'll just read this through, I think it's more or less self-evident. The aged women likewise, right? By the way, the aged men, don't be silly, it says, the aged men in verse 2, be sober, nothing to do with drink, right, right, thinking, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behaviour as becometh holiness. In other words, in the way they handle themselves in their homes, in their relationships, towards their non-Christian neighbours, towards their Christian neighbours, towards the Christians in the fellowship, that everything about them speaks of holiness. They are people devoted to God utterly in every area. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? All right? So, you should have the demeanour of sanctification. People should know you are now separated unto the Lord. That in behaviour they, as becometh holiness, not false accusers. And the word in Greek me, here is the name for the devil. 
don't do the devil's work. And this is the danger. Those of you who've got time on your hands, either the Lord's going to use the time or the devil will use the time. You've got to know. And so many women, and men it's true of, with time on their hands, they become know-alls, gossips, busybodies who know everybody's business. Negative speakers. They know every problem area and round it goes. This says, do not be of that ilk. If you've got time in your hands, use it to build up people, not to pull down. All right? So not accusers, false accusers. Not given to much wine. All right? Sitting long at your table and uh, out comes the Beaujolais in the morning <laughs> and you go to a little, something a little stronger by the afternoon. That's not it. Not a legitimate use of your time. Next, that they might be teachers of good things. And that means teachers by example. That when people see them, they say, I really learn more of Jesus from the way you deport yourself, you know, from the way you handle situations and so on. Teachers of good things. And here it is, the teaching ministry of women. Yes, women can teach, specifically other women and children. And here, what are they to do? Verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, that's right-minded. Now, what it's implying is that young women tend to be emotional and flighty. Right? That's not me saying that. That's the implication given here. And the type of thing is, oh, they've had an upset. Oh, and now, oh, and they're all out of fellowship and all jangled up. And so they come into this older woman. Now, some older women immediately say, oh, I agree with you. <laughs> flat, 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 flat. Well, I think they're horrible as well. Oh, they've done that to me. And in fact, instead of teaching the younger women to be sober, you know, really right-minded, the younger women say, hey, even spiritual woman, women act like this. In fact, spirituality means sometimes blowing your top. It means actually getting all emotional and flappy about situations. Oh no, the elder women have got to say, now just calm down, dear. Come on, let's get the Lord into this situation now. You're speaking wrong things. Let's make them right things. And that's what you've got to do. So you teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands. Isn't that shattering for men? <laughs> you know, I mean, most of us think, why, we're simple to love. <laughs> I can't see what they find so difficult. But apparently women have to learn. We're ordered to love our wives, but they have to learn it. Well, I'm going to let an older woman speak on that passage sometime. Just don't understand it. Now. <laughs> right? That they teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. I think I understand that a bit more. Especially when the children have been screaming and ripping the curtains down and, and everything. And, and then they have to come up and say, look, excuse me, dear. Can I just say, I feel that you're not handling your children right. And sometimes these older women can actually say, I made this mistake and I suffered. Don't you make that mistake. Do you see? It doesn't imply that the, w these people have done it all right. What it means is they've learnt from their mistakes. So why should you make the same mistakes? That's what it's saying. Okay? And by the way, younger women, please be teachable. Hey, perhaps they do know something better than you do. Perhaps that you just might, you know, just might. You know, when I was 14, I thought my father was an idiot. When I was 21, I realised he'd learnt a lot in those seven years. 
<laughs> and so that's part of the legitimate ministry, and we've got to see it come more and more in our own fellowship. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, which means self-controlled in everything, right? They're not, therefore, going to cause a fracas and expose the law to public abuse. They're not. They will learn to self, be self-controlled. To be chaste, which means pure in everything. Keepers at home. And sometimes you have to learn how to do this if you're a young, young wife. To be good. That means wholesome in everything. To be good. To be obedient to their own husbands. What submission is all about. You have to learn that. And the older women will tell you what it is. And look. You must do all of that, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And basically what it's saying is that the, the world will judge you according to your behavior, not according to your doctrine. And that's important. It's not the, way, the words you speak that will count, it's the way you act that will count. And if you are wrong on all of these things, it's God that gets it in the neck every time. Oh, so that's what God's like. Well, if that's being a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. And God gets blamed. It's all got to stop. You see, And the ministry of older women is very, very important. And so, you see, we have all of these ministries functioning in the body of Christ. From February onwards this year, the end of February, we are beginning in Chichester and in Bognor, a training session for all young converts. And as soon as a person is converted, they'll be taken through a training course as far as the Bible is concerned. We will make sure that they are filled with the Spirit. We will make sure religion is dealt with in their lives. Religion is a major enemy of the truth. And we will make sure that is dealt with. We will pass them on to other ministers to minister to them for personal need. From March or April onwards, we're also going to have, on Friday evenings, a class for all newcomers into the fellowship, which will last us just a fairly sh short number of weeks before people go into the local area groups in which we teach about what fellowship is about, we get to know the people, and so on. Then the ministries can start moving in so that we can see maturity develop. Beloved brothers and sisters, it's time that we as a fellowship grew up. And it's time for us now to see that God wants expansion, not just numerical expansion, but he wants increasing depth in our own personal relationship. We've got all the ministries we need, believe it or not. We are such a blessed fellowship. We've got every ministry we need. Now, some of them are undeveloped at the moment. But as we now begin moving on this year, we are going to see the maturity coming. It needs every one of us to seek God about our personal ministries. You have a gift from the Lord. Next time, I'll be talking about giving and specifically the subject of tithing. Amen. <laughs>